Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bevan Walters as she continues our series on parenting. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hello and welcome to the second module in this parenting series, the 3D Parent Model, a simple approach for parenting complex kids. My name is Devin Walters and I'm a certified parent coach and the founder of The 3D Parent. Hopefully you've had a chance to watch the first module in this series and do some work in the uh, workbook pages that went along with that module setting your parenting intention to really ground yourself in how you're showing up as a parent for your children. Because now I'm going to spend the next three modules helping you match your intentions with your actions as parents using the 3D parent model to do so. The 3D parent model is parenting with dignity, direction, and deep connection. Starting off in this module with parenting with direction. This is the key to becoming the expert for your children. I'm going to be helping you today jumpstart and improve upon your ability to make sense of your child's behaviors, what they're telling you about your child, help you stop the, um, the search for answers, looking away from your child, perhaps in parenting books and with parenting experts think that that's where the answers lie in making sense of your child and their behaviors and help you instead turn your direction of focus towards your child to help you find your parenting direction so that you can really feel more confident in your ability to understand. Behavior is communication. Your child is is communicating something to you about what's going on for them in terms of their maturity, their development, their current circumstances, how they're feeling. So we need to really work as parents to understand our children and decode their behaviors so that we can provide and respond provide the response that is going to be most conducive to their emotional health, well-being and ability to mature. The majority of problematic behaviors are rooted in immaturity. Almost all behavioral problems come from your child's immaturity. So lots of parenting practices that um, aim to kind of give you quick fixes and solutions to behavior problems really focused on that behaviorist sculptor um, model of parenting. It's really about fixing and trying to get your child to act more mature. I'm going to help you understand where that emotional maturity even comes from, make sense of how it unfolds, and then how you can support your child in its unfolding 
being kind of the supporter because keeping in mind, emotional maturity is not guaranteed. Growing older is. Adding more years to your age, that's guaranteed. Uh, growing gray hair, wrinkles, that's all guaranteed. Emotional maturity is not. I think we can all think about um, people we know personally or maybe people we've seen out there um, on TV, the political arena who lack emotional maturity. We don't want that for our children. We want our children to be as far along in their emotional maturity and development as possible. We're also somewhere in our own developing emotional maturity. It's a lifelong process. And we ourselves need to continue to be growing up alongside our children and guiding our children in their development of their emotional maturity. Um, emotional parents, when parents come to me and they first start working with me, either in my coaching practice or in my membership community, they often are asking questions initially like, what should I do when my child acts like blank? And then they name some type of a behavior problem that they'd like to see go away. What should I do when? They're wanting to fix an immature behavior. And I try to instead make a real shift in the types of questions they are making to help them embrace this different paradigm of thinking about um, raising their children and supporting their children in their development. So rather than trying to come up with a quick solution to try and fix the problem, um, which is focused on trying to control our children, I want them to understand. So it's really about asking questions that will help with your honing of your own parenting direction. Asking questions like, why is my child behaving this way? And what is driving my child's current behavior? Is there something going on for my child, perhaps an unmet need that I need to get to the bottom of so I know best how to respond and support my child? So this requires us becoming more curious versus more controlling. Asking questions like, what do I do when to fix the problem? That's really focused on controlling our child's behaviors versus becoming curious so that we can kind of unlock what is ever getting in the way of our child? What's keeping them stuck in immature behaviors? So in this module, Parenting with Direction, there's two parts that I am going to be focusing on today. First, kind of the quickest version of helping you understand where your child is in terms of their emotional health and maturity so that you can understand how it unfolds and where your child currently is or where they may be stuck and not continuing to mature. And then second of all, helping you learn to decode behaviors and uncover the underlying cause or unmet need that you can then address as being kind of your key focus on um, parenting with direction. So to help with the first part, understanding your child as far as their emotional health and maturity, I'm going to use Dr. Gordon Neufeld's five steps to emotional health and maturity model. I have already mentioned Dr. Gordon Neufeld's work and his language, and I will continue to do so because it's incredibly accessible. You do not need a degree in psychology to understand really complex processes. So I often refer to this language and his models to help parents understand. So again, we can kind of get a, a base level of understanding around something as complex as 
emotional maturity um, so that you can understand enough about where your child is or where they're stuck to know how to support and help them. Um, this five steps model that Newfeld created um, is really a roadmap for defining not only where your child is, but also how you can support. Be almost a midwife to your child's emotional development as far as their maturity. There are five steps. Um, they are step one, expressing, step two, naming, step three, feeling, step four, mixing, and step five, reflecting. I'm gonna go through these each one at a time. And I recognize that this is really fast I have more um, that you can refer to within the workbook pages that go along with this module um, that you can refer back to. I'll spend a bit more time on one of these steps, step four, mixing, because it is a real focus a lot of a lot of parents and um, something that often is what they're wanting help with right off the bat. So helping parents understand where that falls in terms of emotional maturity um, can be really, really helpful. Um, and that is the step four, mixing. And I'll get there in a second. But first, gonna breeze through um, the first three steps, give you a base understanding and also how you can support this step in its development for your children. Step one is expressing. Um, emotion is something that happens to us. We have no control over emotion that we experience. Um, step one is expressing the emotion that we experience that stirs us up. Emotion seeks expression. That's kind of just the law of emotions, the first law of emotion as Neufeld describes it. Uh, when emotions stir our children's up, parents, rather than trying to stop it or control it, they need to make space for it. Parents' role is to invite and assist and accept that this emotional expression is going to occur and furthermore needs to occur. It's essential to a child's development. Um, parents need to avoid punishing or judging the expression of emotion where it may be necessary to um, provide a space. So maybe perhaps moving a child to an area where they have kind of the freedom and the privacy to be able to express their um, feelings. If you're in the grocery store and your child is throwing an all-out tantrum, completely appropriate to ditch the cart and take your child out to the car and allow them to express their emotions that have been stirred up inside versus letting everybody be privy to your child's emotions. Um, if you are home, then accepting again that this is gonna happen and invite it, make space for it, can be really helpful in your child's ability to move and metabolize this emotion stirred up, which is the first step that has to happen. Parents should also avoid, um, when a child is expressing their emotions, trying to, uh, banishing a child or isolating them, giving them a time out or um, putting them away from the parent as a form of punishment. That actually can stop a child's ability to express their emotion, which might seem in the short term as a good thing. When a child is, when a parent is focused on trying to stop and fix emotional expression, uh, oftentimes that's what their goal is. How do I calm my child down? How do I stop this emotional expression? It needs to happen. If you're stopping it or controlling it, 
you're just putting a lid on, it's going to come out another way. And it might be growing. And that expression might become more intense and bigger the longer you put it off. So invite it, accept it, make space for it, and also do not join in in it. <laughs> that module one about um, your intentions as a parent, one of those really important intentions needs to be tempering your own emotional reaction to your child's emotional expression. Do not join in in your child's tantrum. Accept that it's going to happen and keep your own temper calm so that your child has the freedom to express it and doesn't keep them um, stuck or scare them into stopping that emotional expression because of fear of punishment or your rage that may be unleashing on your child, which also is not going to be helping them in their ability to move beyond this step. We don't want kids stuck in steps for a long, long time. I'm not saying, oh, con continue to have your child throwing tantrums as an eight-year-old. No, hopefully they're moving along in their emotional steps and onto the second stage within you know, the first few years of life to step two, which is naming. Not only does emotion seek expression, it also seeks understanding. And language is the solution to the problem of emotion, meaning that when children have the ability to understand the language of emotion, it helps them not stay stuck just in expression, expressing the emotion stirred up, but actually understanding the emotions helps them move beyond staying stuck, just that emotional expression stage. So parents' role is first to learn to look at our child and the emotions that are uh, being stirred up that they're experiencing and to learn to decode them and make sense of those emotions so that we can match that with the language of emotions. The parent's role is to say what you see. When you see your child stirred up by a particular emotion, you name it, you say it. Um, sometimes parents lack the language or a more expansive um, vocabulary for emotion, and they need to work on that themselves, learning the language of emotion. Um, Dr. Brene Brown recently put out a book called Atlas of the Heart. And in her research, she found that majority of adults can really only routinely name three emotions, happy, sad, and angry. There is a wealth of emotions that are out there that need to be named and made sense of for children. Again, developmentally appropriate language, if you have a very young child, using simpler language initially and then expanding the vocabulary of the emotions for children can be really helpful. If you feel like you don't have a great grasp of um, emotional language, that book can be a great resource. And I've also put some resources in the workbooks that go along with this module to help you find the names that go along with emotions so that you can help your child in this step of emotional development. Uh, step three is feeling. Emotion seeks expression, seeks understanding, and seeks feeling. Emotions need to be felt to be able to progress in emotional maturity. So you see that if a child is expressing their emotion, a parent is immediately moving to stop it or punish it, they can't get to the point that is essential, which is to be able to feel their feelings. This can only happen in the context of safety and security 
And initially, with the support of a deeply connected, deeply attached parent. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. You can think of emotional maturity um, following almost a mathematical equation. A soft heart, a child needs to have a soft heart, which is access to their feelings, plus secure attachment, so a deep connection with at least one primary attachment figure, that is gonna equal maturity. So a child's soft heart plus a secret attachment is gonna help them reach emotional maturity. I'm gonna be talking about that deep connection, that secure attachment in the next module, Parenting with Deep Connection. We're focusing on helping our child have access to their feelings, particularly their more vulnerable feelings the soft heart part of that equation, which is the key to them being able to gain this emotional maturity. So that, that um, role as parent is to be midwife to our child's feelings, to come alongside and support our child as they are being able to access those feelings. Some feelings can be really intense and hard to access, particularly if your child is more sensitively wire, wired. So we don't wanna get in the way. We want to invite that expression, help our child name and understand the emotions and then feel those feelings. Normalizing feelings, all feelings, not getting in the habit of labeling feelings as being good or bad. Um, sometimes parents think, oh, replace those bad feelings with good feelings. Nope, all feelings are valid and all feelings are necessary for healthy growth and maturity. So inviting all those feelings, even the ones that are unpleasant and not helping, not making our child feel like there's good and bad or that feeling feelings um, is something they should be avoiding. We're working against a culture of cool where it's um, celebrated being tough and not uh, letting your feelings be um, felt, not expressing feelings and not feeling your feelings. That's cool, that's strong, that's tough. We really need to work against that messaging because it's harmful to our children and their emotional well-being. When children are working real hard to defend themselves from feeling their feelings, they could be heading towards really damaging material, um, damaging um, uh, things as far as their emotional health. When children are working really hard not to feel their feelings and they're trying to numb or defend themselves, 
A lot of the behaviors that come along with numbing themselves from accessing those feelings are a lot of the problematic behaviors we're seeking to extinguish and get our children unstuck from. So helping your children access and feel those feelings is really, really essential. Um, so working against and celebrating, gosh, you're so brave. You're feeling these feelings. Man, it takes a lot of strength and bravery and courage to be able to express and feel those feelings. Celebrate that, not being tough and not feeling your feelings. Um, another thing we want to avoid is sending our children to the room, giving them a time out when they're expressing feelings because when, whoop, they try real hard to pull it together and not feel the feelings. They're missing an opportunity to get there and we're not supporting our children when we're sending them away from us. And again, if your child is feeling really intense, big feelings, they need your support. So we need to come alongside our child's feelings, invite them. And when they're able to access them, we do not then go right into teaching a lesson, problem solving, or rescuing your child. Yes, it's hard to see your child sad and disappointed. It's natural to want to try and rescue your child from those feelings, but it's not helpful. We want our children to be able to feel their feelings and to recognize that it's survivable. And on the other side of feeling those feelings, whew, they get back to a place where they can manage and be more adaptive and resilient. So let's not get in the way of our children's capacity to feel those feelings. I'll go into more of parenting practices that are very common that also can get in the way of our child's emotional development as far as their maturity. And again, uh, the fourth module, uh, dignity and discipline. But moving on to step four. Another reason that our children really need to feel the variety of feelings is because of this step. Step four, mixing. This is the key to emotional self-regulation and impulse control. I said there was one of these steps I was gonna spend a little bit more time, this is the one. Oftentimes when parents start working with me in my coaching practice or are new to uh, the 3D parent approach and model, they're really focused on how do I get my child to control their emotional reactions? How do I get my child to be more self-regulated? How do I teach my child to do this? They're really focusing on um, controlling the expression and not recognizing that it's going to evolve over time once that stage of emotional maturity is reached. In fact, you can't teach self-regulation. You can't teach this stage of development. It follows this sequential path. After a child is expressing, naming, feeling, the next is mixing emotions, and that is the key. This is the ability to feel more than one feeling at a time. So first, in terms of emotional development, all children are one feeling at a time creatures. They are happy when they're happy, they're sad when they're sad, they're angry when they're angry, they're embarrassed when they're embarrassed. They feel one feeling at a time. And for a young child or an emotionally young child, that's all they have capacity for. They can't hold more than one feeling at one time. Once they reach this stage and they have really moved through those first three steps in terms of their emotional maturity, now they can start to mix. And this is again, the key to impulse control. This happens in typical development, somewhere between the ages of five to seven, or for more sensitively wired children, closer to age seven to nine. 
So we have to wait and be patient. Again, we can't teach this. Buying a calm down corner and hoping that that's gonna help your child have, oh, this nice comfy place to be able to go as soon as they feel um, a big emotion, um, as soon as they experience a big emotion, is not going to happen. A child can go to a calm down corner once they've reached the stage of being able to mix their emotions and control their emotional response because then they know how to, oh gosh, I'm mixing my emotions. Oh, I'll go to that calm down corner. That's a very mature child. It's not something we can expect of a child to save your time and money thinking this is something you've been taught. Instead, focus on the steps preceding this step so that you can help your child. So being able to hold more than one feeling at a time is the key. And here's why. When a child can have a feeling of frustration and at the same time a feeling of caring, they can resist the impulse to attack. So mixing emotion is what does that. So if a child has a big caring feeling towards their parent and they, they feel really, really um, a strong caring instinct towards their parent. When they're feeling frustrated, when a parent has given a no, that is really hard to accept, they can mix those two feelings together. I care about my parent, even though they're frustrating me and not giving me the answer I want. And that gives way to impulse control, not to have a attacking response and to lash out or hit their parent. When a child has, oh my gosh, a lot of fear around trying something new, but also a lot of desire, that can give way to mixing those emotions where, and that's where courage is born. So these, these more mature ways in which um, our children can be in this world, where we want them to be, is the product of maturity, not something that can be taught. So our role as parents, again, is to not get in the way of the emotional steps that lead up to this, but also once our child starts to show um, some ability to control their impulses, to draw some attention to it. When my children started to develop this capacity to mix emotions, oh my gosh, I was, first of all, having a major happy dance internally, but also I, brought, I drew attention to it to my children. Um, my third born, she used to have a lot of um, attacking energy. She was very aggressive when she was frustrated, particularly with her siblings. And when she was around age seven, she's more sensitively wired. So I just started to see it unfold more regularly when she was um, between the ages, actually, I think of six and seven. And she started to have more regular ability to control her instinct to attack. Um, and I saw her get really frustrated by her brother, but she didn't go and try and hit him. Instead, she kind of stormed off and said, I'm mad. And she removed herself from the situation. I went, oh my gosh, you just did this incredible thing. You were really, really frustrated by your brother, but you didn't hit him. You did this thing called mixed emotions. You remembered you care about your brother and you didn't want to hurt him. Even though you were really frustrated, you did this thing called mixing emotions. Oh my gosh. Now that is not going to make this happen, but drawing attention to it can help a child bring some awareness around it. It can increase their desire. And over time, again, this starts to continue to blossom and grow. And oh my gosh, I have worked with parents in my coaching practice. And when they suddenly are seeing this unfolding with more regularity, 
It's like a miracle has occurred. That young, immature child full of behavioral problems that they really are struggling with start to magically disappear one by one. Why? Your child is being able to mix their emotions. That leads to reflecting. The ability to, um, once a child is able to mix their emotions, they can also become more reflective, reflective. They're able to look back at their feelings and have a relationship with them. Times when maybe they didn't have the capacity to mix their emotions, they did react, they did lash out. Once they calm down, they can reflect and be like, ooh, I really lost it. They can be reflective and they can um, be moved to make things right. They can, with our support initially, become problem solvers. They can look back and figure out how they can fix things, um, maybe mistakes they made, initially with our support. But eventually, we want children to be able to do this reflecting on their own um, because we want them to be driven to take action when needed so they can right the wrongs. For them to have access to feelings like remorse um, and to be able to reflect upon that and then um, take action. Um, I'll get into that a bit more when talking about uh, Module 4, um, Dignity with Discipline, because this is part of the um, discipline with dignity approach using the 3D parent model. Um, so I'll just kind of leave it there in terms of step five, helping our children develop the capacity to be reflective is where we're headed in terms of their emotional maturity and where we hope that they are when we launch them into this world, the capacity for it. Maybe they're not always, always able to reach that stage. We aren't either. There's times we lose our mix. There's times that we become one emotion at a time, people. We forget for a moment of time. We care about our child, our spouse, and we just lash out. But mm, hopefully we're on the more mature end since we're trying to help our children become more mature so that we're able to be reflective. And when we have not lived up to our own intentions, when we have not been emotionally mature in our actions, we can be reflective and we can go ahead and model how one makes amends, how someone um, writes their wrongs. So these five steps um, are the way in which emotional maturity unfolds. And when children get stuck or they um, maybe were there at one point and they go back, sometimes that happens during different stages of development. Sometimes it happens when there's a big transition that has occurred or there's some other big stressor that needs to be um, unlocked. Again, I don't have time to go into that in this module, but when children are stuck in their um, emotional maturity or there's something going on for them in their emotional well-being where they're not really being able to access their feelings or they're trying to escape them, we need to really recognize that and help our children, again, unlock the capacity for that emotional maturity and unfolding of that um, to occur or reoccur. So developmental roadmap, the five steps of emotional health and maturity we've covered. Now I wanna talk briefly about how you look at your child's behaviors in the moment and learn to decode them, learn to make sense of them to determine what is stirring it up in the first place, what's stirring your child up in the first place and how, um, what unmet need, how we can respond based on what we're uncovering. I'm not gonna go into as much of how to respond because that's again tied into module four, but really just making sense of behaviors and what's being communicated. So finding your parenting direction, becoming more responsive versus reactive is the key and the goal here. And to do that, you wanna kind of almost 
shift out of this reactive, what do I do when line of thinking, and instead think of yourself almost as a scientist observing your subject in a lab. Um, you are trying to make sense and decode by asking questions. Why is my child doing this? What does this tell me about my child? So what's driving the behavior? What's stirring this up? Well, oftentimes there's an unmet need. Um, sometimes they're real basic unmet needs that have not changed much since your child's infancy. The need for food, the need for rest, the need for comfort, either physical or emotional. If your child is hungry, tired, or somehow really uncomfortable, well, we need to meet that, we need to respond to that need. Your child can't do anything other than what they're currently expressing if they're dealing with a real basic need. So expecting your child who is emotionally young to be able to temper their emotional responses to being hungry or hangry uh, for being exhausted, it's just not realistic expectations. So give your child some food, put them to bed, or you know, if they're uncomfortable, figure out where how they're uncomfortable and support them in fixing that or fix it for them if they can't do so for themselves. There's other top reasons why our children may be stirred up. Some unmet need may be a need for connection, Sometimes it sounds like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. I know it may be annoying, but it's also an indication that your child might just need a chance to connect, reconnect with you. Um, it also might be driven by a need to feel significant, important, or a sense of being seen and heard and accepted for who they are. Another big reason might just be a need for your child to vent They've had a tough time, a tough day, and they just need an opportunity to express and again, move that emotion that's being stirred up inside and for you to be patient and provide that for them. That just might be their need is to get that emotion out. And once we can create that space, that need has been met. They can move on and won't see as many problematic behaviors. The more frequent, the more intense, the bigger, the bigger, um, the emotional um, kind of upheaval you're seeing in your child is, the more chance there is perhaps a backlog of unmet needs for your child. So keep that in mind. Your child is exploding constantly and intensely. There's a lot of needs there that have to be attended to for your child to get unstuck from all these problematic behaviors. They need even more patients, even more support from their parents and caregivers to be able to get back to a place where they're not quite as emotionally um, intense in their behavioral expression. So recognize that if there's a lot going on for your child, oh, there's a backlog. There's a lot of needs I need to address. So once you've had a chance to unlock and decode the behaviors and make sense of them, you respond to them. Again, we're going to get into more of that in module four. Um, but keep in mind that this voice in your head responding to my child's behaviors might be rewarding a bad behavior, and I don't want to do that. That voice you might be hearing is, again, you're kind of conditioning and uh, staying stuck in that behaviorist way of thinking about children, that sculptor mode of thinking about your child and their behavior that we're trying to move away from. It's not rewarding 
a child by responding to an underlying need. No, that's really responsive and helping your child eventually mature out of, get unstuck from problematic behaviors. So don't think about your relationship and responding to your child as a reward that should be only given once it's earned. That's a problem that we want to um, not create for us. We'll be addressing that in terms of a relationship and how that plays out in the next module on parenting with deep connection. Clinical psychologist and author of The Explosive Child, um, his name is, uh, oh gosh, my book is right behind me, uh, Ross Green, escaped me that minute. Um, clinical psychologist, Dr. Ross Green, who wrote The Explosive Child says, kids do well when they can. Such a simple thing to keep in mind that kids are not intentionally behaving badly. They're not trying to give us a hard time. More frequently, they're having a hard time. They, it's not a matter of, oh, they haven't been taught the correct way to behave. No, they just can't do that in the moment. They can't live up to their own best intentions as a young, still maturing individual. They need us to understand that when they can do better, they will. And if they can't do better right in that moment, there's a reason why. We have to help understand why. And that again is our parenting direction. Not a skill to be taught. I wish it was, that would be really easy. This is not an easy thing, doing what we're doing, parenting our children. Um, so again, it doesn't mean that we're not ever gonna address the behaviors. There's a time and place for that. We'll cover that in the module on discipline with dignity. But in the moment, focus more on decoding and making sense of behaviors. In closing, I want you to uh, look at the pages in the workbook that I've created for you. That's gonna help you um, work a bit on improving your skills at decoding and making sense of your child's behaviors. Again, being that scientist who is trying to make sense versus just trying to react or stop or fix problematic behaviors. Work on coming along your child's emotions and making space for that expression, helping them access, access the names, um, learn the names of emotions and access their feelings, making that safe for them to feel their feelings. Responding to unmet needs versus reacting. And if you feel a bit confused and off kilter and lost, what am I supposed to do? I don't even know how to respond this moment. No, that is part of making this big shift and how you're approaching parenting your children. We're going to be continuing to add to the actions, the, the different ways to support you in finding your direction and also matching your actions with your intentions in the next two modules. It's okay to feel disoriented right now. That's part of this process, knowing that by honing in on understanding your children better is a part of helping you become the expert of your child. And it's okay if right now you feel far from that. That is gonna be coming and continuing to evolve. And these next two modules are gonna give you even more of a sense of confidence. So if you feel off kilter and confused, that's okay. That would not be surprising and should be expected, but just really focus again on your child, making sense of them, helping you to develop your parenting direction. And I'll see you in the next module in the series, Parenting Deep Connection. Thank you for joining us. 
To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.